Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. Shep Hyken here on another episode of Amazing Business Radio. Very excited today, as I always am, because we have an amazing show. In just a few minutes, we're going to be talking with Ty Collins, who is the co-founder and CMO of Rad Power Bikes. And uh, he's done an incredible job, and he's going to talk to us about how even if you have to raise your price, and we'll talk about why, uh, you can still retain your customers and actually get more customers. But before we go any further, I want to thank our sponsors, our friends at Salesforce. So be sure to go to www.amazingbusinessradio.com. That's amazingbusinessradio.com, the name of the show, and uh, find out what Salesforce is offering up. They're a great organization. You know it, a software organization. Anyway, you'll learn more there. And we are doing something new beginning of every show now. Uh, We're doing something called Ask Shep. So it's real simple. Uh, Rather than just listening to me, it's now your turn to be heard, and I'm going to answer your customer service and experience questions, the ones that you've always wanted to ask, and all you need to do to submit those questions is just go on to Twitter, and my handle is at Hyken, and just ask your question and use the hashtag AskShep. My Twitter handle is at Hyken, and use the hashtag AskShep, and I'll answer questions in future episodes of Amazing Business Radio. So let's talk about, or let's let's cover this question that somebody sent in, and I love this question. I've written a lot about this in the past, and the question is real simple. What is the difference between a loyalty program and a marketing program? And really, I think that question is kind of, uh, oh, it, it's a setup, because Somebody must have seen a comment that I wrote recently is do not confuse loyalty programs with marketing programs. They're totally different. What is a loyalty program? A loyalty program is something that rewards customers who keep coming back, spending more money, et cetera, et cetera. They reward them with some type of a perk, some type of an advantage to doing business with them. And I always say, is that loyalty marketing or is that just flat out marketing? And I think In a way, it's just marketing, and I'll tell you why. I'll give you an example. Um, I fly a lot on American Airlines. One of the perks from flying a lot is that I am a high-level, what they call executive platinum, um, member of their loyalty program. What that means is I get free upgrades to first class when they're available. I get uh, changes uh, that I can make to my ticket without being charged on the same day. Little perks like that. Now, the question is, if they took away the free upgrades, if they took away the perk, would I still want to fly on the airline? Let's give you another example. If you go to your local sandwich shop and they give you a card and it says, come in, we'll punch your card and on the 10th punch or the 5th punch or whatever, you get a free sandwich. Well, let's say it's the 10th punch. What that means basically is they're giving you a 10% discount. And if you come in enough, you'll reap that discount in the form of a free sandwich on your 10th visit. Is that a loyalty program or is that a marketing program? Basically, I think it's pure marketing. It's basically a card punch program. And as you think about the programs that you put into place, the incentives that you're giving your customers to do business with you as a result of those programs, are they really based on 
a percentage off or a discount or a deal because you're giving more business to us? Are they truly rewarding you for loyalty? You know, somebody that does a lot of business with the airlines, that gets to change their ticket at no charge, that gets access to a special number for the high, more frequent flyer um, uh, members, that's a great perk. And wow, that's not about a percentage off. That's not about a discount. That's just about a great perk. And that may be what takes loyalty programs to make people be loyal to you. So if you take away the perks uh, that are incentives that are of uh, financial nature, discounts, that type of thing, extra gifts, if you took those away, would your customers still want to do business with you because of the program that you have? That's a loyalty program. By the way, I'm not opposed to a marketing program. I just think it's important to know the difference and maybe combining the two of them is a great way to go as well. All right. We are going to be back in just a moment. We're going to take a short break. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll be talking with Ty Collins. This is Shep Hyken on Amazing Business Radio. We'll be right back. Good customer service is now an expectation. Don't provide it and you'll be disrupted by a competitor who does. So what can you do to stand out? Well, that's the focus of my latest book, The Convenience Revolution, how to create a customer service experience that disrupts the competition and creates fierce loyalty. The goal is to reduce friction and be convenient for your customers. So if you're ready to take your customer service to the next level and disrupt your competitors, well, this is the book for you. To order the book, go to www.beconvenient.com. That's beconvenient.com. It's time for you to join the revolution, the convenience revolution. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio. Very excited, as I told you earlier, that we have in the house Ty Collins, the co-founder and CMO of an extremely cool company called Rad power bikes and he is responsible for increasing revenue at this company uh to over 40 million dollars in just four years which i love so we're going to talk about some really cool customer experience and customer service concepts here's what's interesting ty has been forced or actually rad power bikes has been forced to raise prices due to some uh, political and economic decisions having to do with the import of steel and products. And we're going to talk about how you deliver an experience that's going to make price basically less relevant and uh, learn all about that from Ty. Welcome to Amazing Business Radio. Yeah, Chef, thank you so much for, uh, for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you. Well, I hope I set this up well. So real quick, uh, Rad Power Bikes is not that old. Uh, so it's kind of a kind of an interesting story. It's a bit of a yes, a bit of a no. So uh, the Rad Power Bikes that most people see and know uh, was kind of relaunched and rebranded in 2015. However, we actually started Rad Power Bikes all the way back in 2007 when we were still in college. It's something that was started kind of originally out of necessity. Uh, one of my co-founders started building electric bikes solely as a way to get uh, basically get around uh, get around town, um, it started getting noticed. And this was very early on um, in the days of e-bikes in the U.S., where it wasn't by any means a household name. Most people had never seen them before. So started getting noticed, and we essentially made every class project in school about red power bikes. Oh, wow. Was all the marketing projects, on. all the, yep. the, yeah, the PR exactly. projects. I love yep. that idea. Love that. Yeah, so, so for those that don't know it, the Rad Power Bike, it looks like a regular bicycle, 
but there's a little motor on there making that thing go when you need a little boost to get uphill or you want to get somewhere a little bit quicker and you want to tool around town um, without a whole lot of effort. Is that a good way to describe it? Am I yeah, doing exactly. it justice? And yeah, and that's that's definitely what our bikes look like now. When we when we very first started building them in 2007, they were they were pretty uh, beastly looking Frankenstein contraptions. <laughs> I mean, we had we had everything from uh, sheet metal to um, uh, plastic to Velcro to electrical tape. I mean, it was it was very old school. Uh, lipo batteries powering what's looking back very very kind of clunky motors right, huge and, batteries i mean today they put oh, a yeah. battery that'll drive a car a big car hundreds of miles so and they're thin and they are in the floor of the of, and they're still big yeah not not the case back then <laughs> no, yeah i know the big big and clunky and today yeah. uh, i'm sure that the battery that goes into the bike is much much smaller almost not even noticeable yeah, so I mean it's it's much smaller and it has much more capacity. So um, we were building these bikes. It was uh, there what was called custom conversions. So we would take an existing bicycle and convert it into an electric bike, which was an awesome way to get started. Learned a lot, but the issue with that is it's really not scalable. So it was kind of a passion project and a hobby for years and years. Um, you know, we graduated school, went on to start our careers, things like that, um, and you know, kind of decided that we wanted to make a real go of it. I got a call from um, my one of my co-founders, uh, Mike, who is a childhood friend of mine, um, and he said, I think now's the time for us to really make a go of, of Rad if you're in, and I was, I was definitely in, and it kind of took off from there. So like you were saying, yeah, the bikes we have now uh, visually look pretty much just like a regular bike. I mean, it's going to have the pedals, the derailleur, the brakes, all of that. There's just going to be a few added components to it. So you'll obviously have the battery, which provides uh, the energy of the bike. You have a motor controller, which is essentially the brains of the unit. And then you have the motor that's going to be laced into the rear wheel. And that's where the power is going to come from. Yep. All right. Uh, We all now know what a rad bike is. And now we want to know how you deal with the issue that's recently come up. Uh, It's you know, obviously everything goes up over time, but now uh, importing some of the product, the steel, um, is that right? Is it the steel? Is it the metal? No. So oh. uh, though though that was part of the tariff, we were actually in a very, very specific category. So oh, okay. uh, at the, I believe it was the end of July of this year, um, the announcement of, I believe it was a list of about 350 categories that was going to be uh, affected by these tariffs came out, and one of the tariff categories is specifically electric bikes, electric scooters, and electric motors that would power either a bike or a scooter. So there was, in fact, a tariff specifically on uh, bikes, elect- sorry, electric bikes that are physically manufactured in China, which is where we do our manufacturing, uh, and then imported into the U.S. So uh, it was it was pretty much right on the nose, right what we were, you were, we were manufacturing. Yeah, so. and we uh, we do all of our design work, all of our you know R and D things like that uh, internally in the company in Seattle. Um, but like you know, virtually every bike company uh, out there, we do outsource the physical manufacturing of the product. 
Right. So, how much of a tariff was there on bringing this in? How, what, what of an, what kind of an increase in price are we looking at? Yeah. So, uh, so it was a tariff of twenty five percent, which that's was, a big increase. Uh, yeah, which is which is a very very large, uh, large increase uh, that we were you know looking down looking down the barrel of. All right. So here's the first big question: You're forced to raise your prices. However, according to my notes. It didn't impact sales because you feel that you create this experience that's uh, unique, special, and it basically overcomes the price sensitivity. Am I right about that? Yeah, I mean that's definitely something that we that we strove for, and I think we did a pretty good job of. I think it would it would be impossible to say that we didn't lose out on you know a handful of sales because of the price increase because you know even. Uh, at our original price, it's of uh, which was fifteen hundred dollars. That's going to be, you know, something that's definitely a pretty sizable chunk of change for a lot of people out there. But we did everything in our power to really make sure that we were able to kind of move on and um, move forward after the price increase with as little impact as possible. And so, how? That's the big question. What did you do? Give us. I mean, is it a process? Is it a list of things that you did? Share. Share the magic. Yeah, so I mean, kind of starting at the beginning, we had obviously heard rumblings of a potential tariff for you know for a little while. Um, that information had been out. It was just a matter of whether it was going to happen or not. Uh, pretty much the day that it was announced uh, that there was in fact going to be a tariff on electric bikes, we circled up as a team, you know, both our marketing communication teams and our leadership teams, and basically decided right away, okay, we have to be very, very public about this pretty much as quickly as possible uh, and really let our audience know exactly what's going on. We've Advertise you're raising prices, but not just because you're raising them, you're telling them why. Exactly. So for us, transparency in our business uh, has always been really, really important, especially when it comes to uh, customer experience and customer service. So we really strongly believe if you're just open and honest with people, it makes your life a lot easier. If you're trying to put up these barriers and facades and potentially bend the truth or cover things up, it becomes a lot harder for your teams to be able to have a real conversation with people because the second you're not just being open and honest, you have to start remembering, you know, well, what's the what's the script here? What are we saying? What are we not saying? So uh, we were very, very outspoken about the fact that the tariffs were coming. And more specifically, we were very, very outspoken about the fact that we did not believe that uh, the tariffs were the right call, you know, if the end goal was to help with American business. So I think that helped in a couple of different ways. One of them was we were able to really create our own narrative. Um, We were quite literally the first and one of the few companies in the electric bike space that made any sort of statement. So by getting out ahead of it, being one of the first ones, we were really able to set the narrative and the tone for the industry, which was really great because we got our message out first and we were able to actually act as a resource for a lot of pretty, you know, large name publications like uh, NPR, um, you know, NBC, CBS affiliates, a number of other publications were able to come to us um, to kind of be that leader and that voice. Uh, the other thing is, is we were able to have just a real conversation with our current and potential customers. So we knew right away uh, 
uh, once the tariffs were announced that uh, myself and co-founder Mike were going to make a video, which was us just talking to our customers and explaining what was going on. What are the tariffs? What do they mean for us? What does that mean for you? What does that mean to the business? Uh, and just be really frank and outspoken and everything we conveyed to the public, we made sure to really, really convey to our customer service teams and really make sure that they were on the same page as us and that they truly were kind of living and breathing and believing in the things that, you know, we were believing in. And we were, you know, we're fortunate enough that both our customer experience team and our tech support teams um, are so passionate and fired up about the things that we are as well, that they were able to really easily convey uh, all this information with a lot of passion and heart to our customer base. So Right. So I'm hearing three, to, three big messages right here, and yep. I want to go over them. Then we'll take yep. a, a quick break and come back. Yep. The transparency thing is huge, and, and I'm going to kind of give my spin on what I hear you saying, is that we don't want to try, and by the way, I use the word spin. That's the problem, is companies try to spin a certain way, try to make bad news look like good news or look different or try to make or push it under the, you know, under the uh, carpet so nobody sees it. And what you said is no. Our transparency is we're going to tell everybody everything. And you said we're not going to try to remember what we need to say on a script. I'll disagree with that point because I think you gave them the script, and it was simply be yeah, honest. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Be yeah. honest about it. Here are the talking points when people ask. There's nothing hidden here. These are the facts. They're, we're not trying to make them look any other way. So it's still a script. It's just not the script that's trying to hide what really needs to be the script. <laughs> Yeah, no, super well said, yeah. Yep, so the video is extremely powerful. Whenever you can go on video, and, and obviously you were uh, quick, and you, you use the words outspoken, I think you were uh, to, the, you know, to the starting gate first, and therefore you were noticed first, but using video is a great way to tell your story. It also creates that consistency that you're trying to keep everybody you know, saying, hey, this is it, and, and everybody, if they ever have a question, well, like, I want to learn more about it. We just go to the video, and there it is again, and we can watch it over and over again. The other thing I hear is that you rallied people together, and I know a little bit about people who love to ride bikes. And even though you're a power bike, it's still people that love to be, you know, a little bit out there, outdoors. It's 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 kind of a great, um, you know, it's a, a great culture to be in, or a great cult to be in, cult not being a bad word. Okay, I know. Oh, totally. I get up in the morning on Saturday mornings, and uh, many times uh, in the fall, I'll go to meet a group of guys at the bike store, and we ride for thirty miles. Okay. Yep. And that's the kind of. I mean, I see a lot of people, and when you get, and when you're, they're all rallying behind you because you were open, honest, and told them you're in a sense cause marketing without even really cause marketing. You know, doing it on yep. purpose. It's happening to you. So, uh, am I right on those? I mean, I mean, I think those are the messages that I'm hearing from you. Yeah, I mean, I think you, I think you really hit the nail on the head, and uh, you know that what what was really a win for uh, for us was you know the the day that we got all this messaging out there, which uh, we we heard about the tariff. I think we spent about a week, maybe a little bit more, um, but right around then, kind of formulating our plan. What are we going to do on the brand marketing side, product marketing side, um, you know, outbound comm side, things like that. Uh, when we launched with um, with our video to our customer base, and I think we put up a landing page that just really detailed exactly what was going on, kind of was a companion piece to the video and had a list of FAQs. 
what really showed to be a win for me and all the effort we did was a lot of the response we got back. There was definitely uh, a few people that were very, very upset. You know, I can't believe you would raise prices. You know, I can't afford it now. I'm going to have to buy from someone else. And we knew that was coming. Um, you know, all we can do is really do the best job we can do to convey all the information. But some people, it's not going to sink in with them in the way that we intended. We had a very small percentage of people that were very frustrated because they thought we were taking a political view. Uh, the one thing we really made sure to do is, you know, we tried to leave politics completely out of it. We were looking at it solely as a tariff in a silo. It wasn't the person that put the tariffs in place. It wasn't the people that support it. It wasn't the people that don't support it. It was just the tariff. Yep, it so is what it is, and we're all living exactly. with it. Yep. doesn't matter who did it. doesn't matter who supports it. But what was so awesome to see was how many emails, social comments, phone calls we got, people going, hey, you know, this is really, really hard to hear. You know, $200 more is definitely uh, is definitely a lot, um, a real bummer. That being said, really respect what you did. I love your company. I love your brand. I love your bikes. I'm still going to be, you know, if I don't place an order before the tariffs increase, I'm still going to place one after. And that kind of, I, I actually spent that day working, you know, kind of, uh, directly with our CX team fielding emails just because I was so curious to see what the response was. And that was just a huge relief seeing, you know, that there were people that though they were still frustrated at the situation, they were able to take what, you know, we were being transparent and honest about um, and really take it for what it is, which was we're being faced with a situation that unfortunately we have no control over, you know, here's what's going on. Here's what the options are. Um, uh, we actually chose to absorb a portion of the increase. Um, so, you know, one thing that was able to really help us were the people that didn't quite get what the tariff really meant. And they just saw, oh, so you're saying, you know, in X amount of days, bikes are going to be $200 more. You're going to be making more. We were actually able to come back and say, you know, funny you say that we're actually going to be making less per unit sold because of this tariff, because we're absorbing as much of this tariff price as we can, trying to keep the cost as low as we can to our end users. So, yeah, you know, but it you, was, you have it to was, do it. You have to do yep. it. So, we yeah. need to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to learn a little bit more about how you managed this and some of the interesting customer experience tactics you use that are a little bit different than others. And it's all happening here on Amazing Business Radio. Don't go away. We'll be right back. If you like what you're hearing on Amazing Business Radio, and I know you do, then you can get much more of this information. All you have to do is go to my website, hyken.com. That's www.hyken.com. Fill out the subscribe to the Shepherd Letter form, and each week you will get an article that contains a business tip, stories, much more, all about customer service and experience delivered straight to your inbox. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to always be amazing. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Ty Collins, co-founder and CMO of Rad Power Bikes. Love this company. Before I ask the next question, Ty, I just want to emphasize something that I heard you say just before we took the break, and that was 
at a certain point, you went to the customer experience department and you sat down with and, and you answered emails, you listened to phone calls, you heard what the customer was either saying or writing. And I think that's an important lesson for everybody to know that no matter what your position is, everybody needs to be spending a little bit of time on that front line. Even if you're just shadowing a customer experience or customer service support person, just to hear in real time the real voice of the customer. It might be the written voice or it could be the oral voice, doesn't matter, but it's the voice of the customer. All right, let me get into a great question here, and and that is something that I know you do a great job, and that is you continue customer service beyond the sale. And most people think customer service, it's all the interactions that you have, but you do some things after the sale, and I think this is so important because once somebody buys what it is that you sell, what are you doing to make them say, wow, I am so glad that I'm doing business with this company? Yeah, so just a super quick background on how our team is kind of set up. So uh, we have kind of our you know umbrella term of customer service, but we actually have it split into two teams. So we have our CX, or customer experience team, which is going to be our pre-sale team. They do everything from answering emails, social comments, and phone calls from people that are interested in buying a bike, have questions about the bikes, have questions about the use cases, things like that, up to making the purchase. Once a customer physically gets the bike, they're transitioned over to our technical support team. They're the ones that help them with uh, service, warranty, everything like that. So the way we look at it is our customer experience team is a team that really kind of builds the trust. As a consumer direct brand, we have a lot of people that are buying our products that have physically never seen one in person. And they're the team that can give people the ease of mind that, you know what, even though I'm across the country, there is a real person I can talk to. There is a real person that can answer my questions. There is a person that has really set the stage and given me a good experience. Now, it's our technical support team that is really able to kind of seal the deal and concrete that trust that people have in us. As odd as it sounds, we found that some of our greatest customer advocates have been people that have had issues with their products, whether it was, you know, the shipping carrier beat it up a little bit on the way there. There was an issue with a component that had to be replaced because they're the ones that really get to show what we as a company are made of, what our belief is, which is to give people the best experience that they can. I think one of the things that has really been successful for us and led to you know where we are in the industry uh, is that when we started, we really put an equal level of importance on the product as we did on customer experience and customer support. We knew that people had to have amazing support, uh, especially those you know that are used to buying in a traditional space, walking into a bike shop, talking to a person. So um, we knew the support had to be there. So. Unfortunately, this day and age, I think a lot of people aren't used to a good level of customer experience or support. They're used to just being transferred to a call center where they're talking to mm. people that really just right. don't care about them, that don't have empathy. And our team, we put a huge level of importance on empathy. So when you are super excited, you got a bike, uh-oh, there's an issue. Okay, I'm going to call into tech support. You're talking to a person that truly and honestly cares about your issue and wants to get you riding as quickly as possible. And by putting a level of importance on that, the people that do interact with those team, you know, that tech support team, even though they're calling kind of kind of at an all-time, you know, valley, a lot of times they get off the phone at the top of a peak because they're going, wow, like, 
you know, I read reviews about how good your support was, but you know, I can't believe it. This is, this is awesome. You took care of me. I'm, I'm glad I, I made this decision. All right. I love the terminology that you're using and I've been preaching, you know, customer experience is everything. Service and support is part of the experience. And um, I don't think you're going to disagree with that, but I, I, even though you, you've set it up as departments or part of the process, I want the people listening not to get hung up on that. I think it's a really cool concept. Customer experience is everything that's happening, and then once the bike is delivered, support may kick in, which is part of the overall experience. You want yep, them exactly. to say, hey, every part of the experience that you have with our you know process our bikes when you get it the follow-up it, it all it's all geared to making you happy to making you 100 percent you know confident that i made the right decision to do business with these people so uh love what you're doing and um let's see i i made a note here and i can't even read uh, read my own writing <laughs> but i'll emphasize, i'll emphasize that that customer service is really not a department it's a philosophy and you're using exactly. the words experience and service combined together and you know that's what you want you want people uh, and oh i know what it was the people that you've hired and you made another comment about it just recently but earlier in the interview you mentioned these are not only dedicated people to the company they're dedicated to what you, to the lifestyle I mean, it sounds like those are people who love, you know, I've done work uh, with you know, Trek Bikes, uh, for example. I worked with them earlier this year. Unbelievable organization. I couldn't believe I was the most unfit person in that entire audience, in the room <laughs> of a thousand plus people in the audience. And uh, I'm going, yeah, these people are dedicated to the lifestyle. So when they're talking to a customer who's also getting excited about buying their bike, same thing with your customers. They're excited about it. You know, your people are caught up in that enthusiasm because they have not only empathy, but it's part of who they are. Uh, and, and that's a message that I was hearing from you. So love it. Yeah. All right. Yep. We are down to the final question, the one thing question. So is there one thing that you'd like to share and, and just, you know, part another piece of wisdom uh, from that wonderful brain of yours? Or do you want to emphasize something uh, that you've talked about that you feel is real important that you absolutely want our listeners to remember and know about? Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh something I touched on earlier that I love to bring back up is just the importance of transparency and honesty. You know, you never have to remember your story if you're telling the truth. And I think too many times people get lost in that and it, it can be scary to really put yourself out there. You know, when we had decided, Hey, we're going to make a video and we're going to tell people how we feel and we're going to get the team behind this. There absolutely was a chance that, our customer base could have completely abandoned us and could have completely blown up on this. But we really, really felt strongly and passionately about it. And we wanted to get it out there. Uh, and we couldn't have even started down that road if we weren't already open to being transparent um, and kind of opening the, opening the door a little bit and letting people see kind of what's going on behind the scene. And, you know, that's not to say you have to give away all of your trade secrets and all of your numbers. There's still plenty of uh, pieces of insight that we just don't share publicly, but you have to be open to um, letting people know why you're making the decisions you're making. And it's not always going to make the customer, you know, necessarily thrilled, but at the end of the day, you're going to know that you gave people the full story and you kind of did everything in your power to make sure that the, 
you know, current or potential or future customer um, has all the information that they need to truly make um, make the right decision with all the information. Right. Good point. Customer-focused companies take the decisions they're making, all of them they put into, like, uh, the question, how will the customer be impacted by this? And sometimes the decisions we have to make aren't always good decisions for the customer, but necessary yeah. for the life yeah. of the company and the ability to continue. I mean, you could say, hey, yeah, we'll, we, won't, we won't pass the cost of the tariff onto our customers, but you know what that means? We're going to scale back five people in our customer support department, yeah. and people are going to experience a lower level of service. Well, we can't let that happen, so yeah. we, have to absor- we, we aren't going to absorb all of it. It's just the way it is. So not every decision that's made with the customer in mind is going to make the customer happy, but a decision yeah. is always made with the customer in mind. Yeah, and if I if I can just real quick, I think uh, a lot of times people think you know to provide great customer service or a great customer experience, you have to always say yes to the customer. And there is going to be times where to provide the best experience, you have to make those hard decisions and sometimes say the things that the customer isn't going to want to hear. Right. Absolutely. All right. Great, great show today. Ty Collins, co-founder and CMO of Rad Power Bikes. The website is, I was on it. Yeah, it is rad, which is R-A-D, powerbikes.com. It couldn't be simpler than that. Thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Everybody, thank you so much for listening in. Another great episode of Amazing Business Radio. We'll be back next week with another amazing interview. And until then, this is Chef Hyken reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.